Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Deep Work podcast. My name is Charlie, I'm co-founder of Deep Work, and today I'm actually going to start on a deeply personal topic, uh, describing a new type of experiential therapy and meditation. It's had a significant impact on my life. Uh, there's going to be a few highs and lows in this, um, but I'm hoping it can be a tool for people uh, for a balanced, happy and challenging life. Um, the reason I'm starting on something which isn't work-related is because we have this health-first principle at Deep Work. Uh, only once we've taken care of ourselves can we actually do uh, sustainable, meaningful work um, in actually like a good, productive and energetic way. Um, hopefully that will come across in the podcast. And um, here we go. You're listening to the Work Smart Live Balance podcast from Deep Work. We provide innovative processes for sustainable remote businesses. Our mission is to create the future of work based on our health first principles to get meaningful work done in less time collaboratively. Okay, here we go. This is my first podcast. Um, so it's rather exciting to get this going. Um, today, I'm going to talk about um, IFS, which stands for Internal um, Family Systems. And it's a type of experiential therapy that I started around about a year ago. Uh, and it had a really big effect on my life. Um, and the reason I'm starting on this topic is because I think mental health is the most important thing um, in a healthy lifestyle uh, to start up, to, to start up before even like nutrition, physical health, health, sleep, and other things like that. Um, and this kind of builds into the topic of deep work uh, because only once we've taken care of our mental health and all different areas of our health can we actually do truly productive, uh, energetic, energetic, meaningful and purposeful work uh, at, you know, like our full productivity. Um, for today, um, this interview or the way I'm doing this podcast is a little bit odd because I've got a guest um, and they're actually going to interview me. Um, <laughs> so introducing, first of all, is uh, Sula Dimitriou. Um She's also my partner, so she's also been kindly very helpful <laughs> <laughs> doing this interview. Um, but first off, I probably should ask her a few questions, um, starting with um, Sula. Um, I know I definitely asked you for your help here, but I know you're also quite excited to do this as well. Um, why is this kind of like useful or, or why are you interested in helping me out with this today? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for inviting me um, to share this experience with you. When you first asked me, I think the thing that struck me is because I'm an IFS practitioner, so I work one-on-one -on -one with clients, um, one of the challenges can often be expressing the process and the journey and helping to convey to people just how profoundly transformational it can be. Um, and having worked in wellness transformation and, and healing for, for over a decade now, um, IFS has absolutely been um, the most powerful addition to my toolkit personally and the toolkit that I offer clients. And so having this very honest experience shared from you or by you, um, I think it's going to really help people understand how it might apply um, to their own lives and what they might expect, actually the level of shift that is possible and healing and um, transformation. So yeah, I'm going to be sharing this with everyone, basically current clients and future clients. <laughs> it's, it's good that it's going to be shared. Um, I think it's now just up the pressure um, on this, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I, I'm really excited. Um, I think I could touch on what got you into IFS, but maybe we can touch at that at the end. Um, but I think we would just start straight into the questions for me. As I said, this is a backwards format where I should be the host asking Sula questions, but it's my experience. Um, so I've kind of, to give people backstory to this, I've given Sula a set of questions. I've written a blog post on this subject, which I'm going to release alongside the podcast. Um, and the questions are just going to keep us on track to it. Um, Sula, shall we get started? Let's go. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Brilliant. So I guess the first question, and maybe you touched on that in your introduction a bit, is 
why did you want to talk about your therapy? Um, I think I touched on it a second ago, which is kind of like, I really believe in these kind of like deep work principles and working productive, productively. Um, and that's kind of like what we're building at deep work at the moment is this set of tools. So that was like the initial kind of goal was to give people the health first principles uh, to them to do more meaningful work. Uh, but most of all, it's kind of like this had a huge transformative effect on my life. Um, I went from quite a dark place to a much better place uh, in a very, very short period of time by doing this therapy. Um, and now what is more interesting is that I use it as a daily practice. So the most important thing that when I get up, um, well, actually secondary to my coffee, um, is to actually do a meditation practice where I do um, parts which I've taken from IFS into it. And I actually feel like it really pays dividends into my work, into my creativity and how I experience my life. Uh, it's still challenging as well. I think that's a good thing as well. Life should be challenging. Um, but I know that I'm kind of always coming at it from my best and can deal uh, with a lot of different situations. I've got, um, I think the word I'm looking for is like, resistance no not resistance that's wrong um resilience like an emotional resilience uh, as a result of doing this um and the end goal really is that hopefully some people will maybe go down the route of actually doing ifs or at least kind of like taking maybe some of the practices here to do if they're not say you know in a uh, tough position where they feel like they need therapy but they might actually consider it from the perspective of hey i can actually do more meaningful more creative work uh, as the result of actually doing this. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I got into it. Mm -hmm. why, sorry, why I want to talk about it today. Yeah. And resilience is such a, a powerful word in, in, in our own inner work, isn't it? It's like the foundation that we can build upon. Yeah, so really. Yeah. No, Andre and I have just been talking a lot about resilience and kind of one thing we've started doing is, is ice baths. We've got an ice bath at the office. Uh, <laughs> And, and listening to kind of like the Win Hoffman technique is the reason you're doing this is actually you're building up resilience in a physical level. Um, mm. You know, getting in that uh, ice bath uh, basically means you can cope with stress better in your life because you're putting your body into a stressful position. And the more often you go into that, the better uh, essentially you are dealing with different situations. Um, and this is kind of much more like a, an emotional and mental level, mm. uh, which is super interesting. Yeah, and resilience, of course, the idea of how we respond to challenge and how quickly we can find our middle space again, you know. Yeah, Yeah, and actually that's probably like a good place to me to start on the, the actual experience of this is that um, actual IFS and how I initially got into it is that I would spend days, maybe even weeks, and at one point actually months, almost a year, stuck in essentially a mood. Um, that's probably one way I can put it. Um, and that mood was kind of like deeply analytical. I would be processing a situation over and over and over again. Um, and I can now know this from the perspective of parts. And I want to talk, talk about parts a little bit later as I describe what IFS actually is. Um, but in this initial first situation, I was, uh, really unhappy. Let's just say I was not in a good place. Um, this is hard to talk about because Sula is obviously here, but I wasn't happy <laughs> in, in my relationship as well. Um, and essentially what would happen is I would process that and I would continuously process that and try and solve it very analytically, very much on the, the right side of my brain would try and look for um, a solution. And at the peak of this, I found a solution, which was actually uh, let's leave the relationship because this isn't functioning. Uh, and at that point, uh, something else kicked in where um, that was not okay. You know, that wasn't possible to do that. It was almost like a bit of codependency came in. And to cope with that as being the solution brought up analytically is that I would do anything to avoid thinking about it again or literally doing anything. So that might be going into work and doing sort of just any kind of work, just stuck, stuck, stuck at the laptop. And when it was kind of like no longer acceptable to be doing work is I just sit on the sofa scrolling my phone. So sort of like a, a loop of Instagram, news sites, emails, you know, and once I've done all that, then I'd probably loop into some, 
the same loop again. Nothing had really changed. Uh, and I could get stuck there for, you know, days and weeks, hours, uh, you know, no contact with people, just very much stuck in that, in that place. And what was that like for you? Um, <laughs> really tough. Uh, essentially I could feel myself trapped. You know, I could feel it physically. Uh, I couldn't move my body. I couldn't do any exercise. I couldn't meet people because I was quite anxious about meeting people. Um, yeah, it generally just, just wasn't nice at all. Yeah. And you mentioned that it created this, you know, almost 12 month mood, like being in one mood in a way. And I wonder if that's a good point to kind of start talking about what is a part and how that mood then became something broken down into an understanding of, of a, a part in our system. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I think, um, you're the IFS expert, so I'm going <laughs> to describe it from my perspective and then hopefully you can correct me if I get it um, horribly wrong. <laughs> um, but essentially, the way the best way I've kind of start to explain parts is just from a very simple uh, perspective when I talk to friends, which is, um, or IFS, they start there, um, sees us made up as a system of different parts of us. And it basically describes that as an extremely powerful thing, because if we see ourselves as parts, um, then we can actually look into self-healing and managing that as a system to do really, really um, powerful things. And this isn't like um, schizophrenia. Yeah, schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. It's not that. It's actually just seeing that we are actually made up of different parts. And the best way I can kind of describe this is that, you know, I guess this is pretty generic that we want to do exercise, but maybe when it comes to exercise, we also want to not exercise and watch TV, go on the internet, eat chocolate, drink a beer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that one. Yeah. (laughs) And the best way I can probably describe that is there's always this conflict between people, uh, which is one part wants to go exercise and another part wants to not exercise and and drink a beer. Um, So in that perspective, eventually one part wins and you are, hopefully you go for a run. Um, for me, probably I would have a beer too often, but you know, it's, it's always this conflict. Um, and by actually seeing that conflict and, and working through it and dialoguing it, that's what more the IFS experiences. Um, do we actually then understand things and, and move, move forward? Mm. And something that really strikes me and often strikes clients that I work with is that they're already using this language, just as you said, oh, there's a part of me that feels I should exercise, but there's another part that wants to watch Netflix all night. So it's something that when we identify, it actually is really familiar. We already have that, that, that sense. Yeah. And it can be um, like, I think the example I used is just generally just a general one, but it can also come to say people's work and career. People really know from one part that they um, should, you know, be doing something in their career or they want to move it forward, but it's going to take a lot of work and effort. Uh, And another part wants to go, go partying, for example. Um, And one part will win just, and it might depend on the stage of your life, but it also depends on your, your value structure as well. Um, So yeah, people, I think this sort of level of it, people are quite, uh, it's quite easy to understand. Mm. And if I may, just to add in about that, cause something you said about one part will win. Actually, what can happen is if there's more than one part that's really strong and they have opposing views is that you can almost reach a state of, of everything just grinding to a halt. And you might even call that like a depressive state because two parts have got such conflicting beliefs that you almost just can't move forward because they're both pulling and pushing you in opposite directions. And that's when you can end up with that feeling and that language, which I think is so familiar, which is stuck. Mm, yeah, that's stuck. Um, yeah, I described it earlier, that's stuck on the sofa, scrolling my phone. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's probably now a good time to talk about kind of what those different parts are, and then I can actually relate it onto that situation. So um, in parts work or in IFS, there's free main categories of parts um the first one is probably to best to, ex- to explain is a is a manager so our managers basically run our day-to-day life um you know they have a role they do stuff and they get us through every day uh you know it's from a evolutionary point of view uh i see it as you know the world is complex and scary 
but as humans, we want to go out and explore the world. Um, that's how we move forward and how we've moved as society and individuals. And these managers basically deal with that risk of doing it. So it's kind of like uh, theoretically, you know, you, you're walking alongside a cliff, a manager will make sure that you're not too close to the cliff. Um, that's one example I can give. Um, and then they're also managing emotions as well. Um, and I'll come to that in a second. And then the next part is more of an extreme part, which is what we call a, a firefighter. Uh, and a firefighter um, in, its, in, in one form can actually lead to kind of like uh, not such good behaviors such as addiction or, you know, abuse. Um, so for example, uh, it's normally a firefighter which will lead somebody into say alcoholism uh, as a way of coping with something else. Uh, and what often these managers uh, and firefighters are doing is trying to hide what we call an exile. Uh, and an exile is a part which experienced emotion or possibly trauma. Um, and what these managers and exiles are doing is they perform this role uh, to stop us going back to that experience that this exile had. So an exile typically for me could be a younger part. Uh, which experienced something which was painful or hurt emotionally. Uh, and this manager just doesn't want the whole system or me to, or, the, or the firefighter to experience that feeling or, or pain um, again, if that makes sense. Um, and in the situation that I explained earlier, I think we can actually start to identify kind of like a little bit about what's going on there. So, um, when I was analytically trying to work out a situation, that's very much a manager. So it's coming in and it's going, right, there's a problem. Let's try and solve it. And it would try and solve it repeatedly. And that's why I'd get looped into that position of like, let's solve it, let's solve it, let's solve it. That was that mood for like over a year, which was just like, we have to solve this. Um, and what happened when it actually came up with a solution is a firefighter came in and went, no, no fucking way. You know, <laughs> that solution, uh, leaving your girlfriend, that that's not on. We can't have that. Um, so it basically shut me down. Uh, that's the best way I've used as it's, I don't think it's a term used in IFS maybe, but uh, I describe it as what I do is I shut down. I hide from the world. I go on my phone and I just scroll Instagram news and just get stuck there in the shutdown. Yeah, that <clears throat> that numbing that numbing so as not to feel, um, yeah, absolutely. And from that then, you know, can you talk a little bit about maybe what your experience was starting therapy and how I can really hear this, this insight that you've got now and, and the way you can see your system and you understand your parts when actions arrive, but what was it like to begin having therapy and to get, you know, to first meet your parts? Yeah, so um, the situation was pretty much a year ago last summer. Um, I was really stuck on the sofa at this this stage. Uh, I was incredibly upset. I was a really bad place. Um, I was really lucky because I did actually have a very supportive girlfriend uh, and family who basically pushed me to kind of into action. Uh, Sula is incredibly lucky that Sula is an IFS practitioner because she actually recommended someone uh, to me, um, a guy called David. Um, and I started working with him and kind of what was really interesting is just how transformative it was so quickly. Um, so to brief briefly describe what happens in a session is you go very much into like a meditative state. So you, I, for me personally, I work to close my eyes and start to feel the sensations. And then you actually have start to have a conversation with your, with your parts. So quite quickly, we kind of identified my managers uh, and the firefighters. Um, and in this particular situation, the first step is to try and give them space um, to show what's going on and work things out. Um, and then actually then to, once they're given space, to feel and find in the body the, um, the exiles. And for me, this was finding a... Uh, a younger part. Um, 
Uh, actually, I found a couple of younger parts, but probably just to talk about the the most important one here was um, a younger part, which was about eight years old. Um, and he felt quite not socially accepted at school. Um, and this version of me when I was when I was younger really didn't like football, uh, for example, um, and just didn't really know how to to act um, during breaks at school just because didn't really want to play football, didn't want to be involved with that. Uh, and it felt quite alone. And then I think as a result of that, of not being like traditionally into football uh, as little boys are supposed to be, uh, eventually got, got bullied. Um, and if I look at this from an adult, it's kind of like, it seems quite minor, you know, we're not talking like uh, particularly huge trauma, but for an eight-year-old child, that experience was quite traumatic. This is something that quite com- comes off quite common, commonly in IFS, I think. Um, so I had this younger part, which felt all this emotion and what these managers and firefighters, firefighters especially are trying to do is make sure I didn't go back to that part and that time that emotional state of that, what that younger part felt. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like a little little overview of the system. Um, and what you do in the therapy is that you go back and you go through the experience that that younger part, you, it basically tells you everything that it felt at that time. Um, and it, I could even feel like the emotion coming up now a little bit um, because it's tough. Uh, like literally I was on a Zoom call with a therapist and I'm crying my fucking eyes out because I didn't know that all this emotion was stored up and it was very much physically, it was stored up in my in my belly um, and it was stored there. I had to relive it. I had to experience it. But by experiencing it as an adult later on, uh, it released that energy essentially. Um, and then, yeah, that that's what happened with that, that younger part. Mm. So it's something about, I often think of it like Groundhog Day, um, a part, the exile that you're talking about, say that young eight-year-old little boy who's had this experience of being bullied. Um, and in that time, your system's developed a survival strategy around it. So you don't have to feel that again and you can avoid feeling it. And so what happens is until we look at that and understand it and update the system, it's as if we have an eight-year-old part of us that's ruling our system, that's controlling and guiding us and, and perpetually in that same story. Um, and that's, you know, that can happen for our whole lifetime. We could get to the end of our days and realize that we've been ruled by four-year-olds and six-year-old and eight-year-old beliefs. And actually, if we can show that part, that the threat, the risk, the pain that happened there no longer exists because look at, you know, 31 year old Charlie now, um, and look at the life you're in. If you can keep reminding that child that that risk is no longer there, then they start to feel safe in, in the attention of you, your self energy, which is what we call reparenting as well. Like an, uh, an adult reparenting of our system. Um, so we, we liberate these moments that are almost like stuck in the past and allow them to come and play and be free in this moment where they're safe and there's not a threat of bullying anymore, there's not a threat of, you know, whatever those other perceived threats might have been, which is so individual for each of us. Yeah, that's right. Um, the only thing that kind of like didn't resonate in that is that the idea that I was ruled by that part because uh, I don't think it was ruling the show or my managers and firefighters were ruling, but they were ruling because of the experience of that um, yeah. younger part. Um, so like the manager, when I'm being, um, analytical and trying to solve things, um, that actually took on that role. Um, when I was in the playground as a kid, um, and it would think, um, it basically to avoid the feeling of loneliness, I would go into my head, uh, and I would think I would imagine things. I would create my own stories, um, or even in the extremes, actually, I would see how far I could count. Uh, that's a memory that came up. Um, or um, I can't remember, I'm trying to think of a specific example. I think I would follow the lines around the playground to see how far I could get. Or it's very, uh, they're sort of loose memories because I'm eight years old at the time. But basically, my coping mechanism built by this manager to not feel the emotion and pain started at that time. Uh, and then that 
basically ruled into my adult life, which was, okay, let's use that. Let's just go into my head. And that's how I can deal with these anxious or emotional situations. Um, yeah. In order not to feel that initial pain. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I can probably go straight now into kind of like what actually happens in the therapy. So I think you touched on it is that you use the word reparenting. Um, I haven't heard that before, but that does make a lot of sense because basically you take that part and you help it from all your parts, your whole system to kind of show it how the reality now is very different. You know, I'm 31 years old. Um, I have really great friends. I have really great support. Um, and life is incredibly different now to being in the playground. And I think the most transformative thing showing that part was that, Hey, you don't like football and that's okay. You love all these different things like kite surfing, swimming, sailing, all these things. And that part goes, yeah, that's really cool. I love those things too. Um, and essentially why that part sits now within me is this in this love of swimming. Um, and once we unburdened it, we got it to let go of those old memories and just brought it update into this world of, Hey, I love swimming and that's cool. Um, I had this kind of incredible euphoric experience, um, in the days afterwards, like the big changes were I do this movement, uh, primal, primal movement practice. Uh, and these things that I couldn't do because I was kind of like uh, stuck in my body, in my flexibility, in my back, all of a sudden like completely changed. I could do back bends. I became flexible. It was crazy that actually there was like a physical change. Um, and then I went to visit my family in Norfolk and we went on a hike. Uh, and in the middle of the hike, we turned up on a beach, pretty cold day. Uh, and this younger part basically said, I want to go swimming. Uh, and the normal situation of that would have been, it's freezing cold. You don't have your swimsuit. Um, how the hell are you going to dry off? You don't have a towel. Uh, people are going to think you're weird if you just go swimming in your, in your underwear. And that's very much all analytical reasons for why not to do this, um, which came from the past beliefs of don't be different. Don't do a diff sport, which is different to football because you won't be accepted. Um, and in this situation, basically... I no longer had that belief. So me and that younger part literally just stripped off and jumped in the sea and went for a swim. Um, and after that, you know, I'm there walking down the beach for miles in, in my underwear uh, to dry off. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's just a version of just not giving a shit. You know, I, previously I would have been quite scared of doing that. And in this situation, I just felt really happy. The part was present with me uh, and it felt fantastic and then not giving a shit another like reframe is being true to yourself isn't it that feeling that you can be you yeah and yeah. that's that's just pure liberation isn't it when we feel safe mm. and have the acceptance to know that us being us is okay is enough on a like core belief level that's just freedom i think yeah yeah it was a total acceptance of myself um that's probably the best way of putting it um, and, and yeah, from, if you accept yourself, then, then life is a lot easier and happier. You know, I just was no longer in that state, which literally, if I think about it, that was in September and I started the therapy in August. Um, yeah. you know, like it was three or four weeks to have that experience. It's incredible. Actually, I've really seen that with my clients, just the shift that can happen when just by even recognizing you have parts and, and not even unburdening them, but just understanding that these things, which we often see as negative parts of us are actually protecting us. And they're there with love and to, you know, all our parts have positive intention. And when we just realize that alone, it can be like, wow, that's incredible. These things we thought were bad. They're not, they're just, they're doing the best they can to protect us. And maybe they don't need to work so hard anymore. Which, who doesn't like hearing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, and I say, like, it hasn't become without its challenge. You know, like we touched, that was one part, one system, one one little thing that's going on. Um, it was very much a continued journey with the therapy as well. We touched on, you know, uh, much, much more things um, as I kind of unburned more parts uh, and got into all different situations. Uh, I even left 
Sula at one point we split up nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and went on a whole different journey that way uh, and that was all because of this this parts work um, and I think that was good actually we, we left a dysfunctional relationship um, and then once I'd gone away and done a lot of work with my parts uh, we entered a new one with all our parts in much better much better rounded human beings uh, and changed the whole system of the relationship but that's a whole subject on uh that'll be our second podcast that we do ifs in relationships which i strongly recommend yeah i think that's probably one for sula's podcast um I think something you said that I just, oh, there's so much I want to share as well, because I'm so passionate about this. Um, I really believe in it. And I think that kind of leads on to the next question about the differences of the therapies. But before we go there is just, you know, you said this is one story and one part that you work with and continue to work with in therapy, but the beauty of, of IFS and the reality of it is it's it's not something we embark on like for two months or three months and then that's it. Oh, all healed, all better. The beauty is this tool that we're left with, which which we work with for the rest of our life. But work maybe isn't the right word, is it? Because that sounds like a burden. Work, it's we integrate it. It's something we're continually doing. I think, um, yeah, to t- touch on that Um Mark Manson is an author, uh, which I really like his work. He does his book called uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Uh, It's a brilliant book. Definitely read it. And it's really interesting. Actually, a lot of what he touches on is is Buddhism, but without making any reference to Buddhism whatsoever. And I think I've never heard him say it, um, but I think that's actually quite deliberate because he's basically taking uh, something which is very wise and has a lot of wisdom and, and making it accessible to a much, much wider audience. Um, but essentially what he says is that uh, as human beings is um, we're always going to have challenge. Um, you know, like we solve one problem and we're just going to move on to the next. We're always going to have problems. That's the the essence of his book. Um, and the idea of perpetual happiness or having solved all your problems is this impossibility that, and we need to let go of it. Um, you know, like, we always strive to solve all of our problems and that's being human, but it's also an impossibility that we have to, to accept. Um, and that was a big shift for me that I made many years ago, which was kind of like, I strive for happiness. Um, and when I found myself getting out of happiness, um, I was really disappointed because I was like, I need to be always happy. And that basically just, just, if ever something's going to cause unhappiness, it's believing that we always have to be happy. Um, and I'm going off topic now on this a little bit, but this is the idea with my IFS now is that I'm always going to be challenged in my life. I'm never going to have a hundred percent happiness. Uh, but the great thing is now is that I'm going to be solving these challenges that come up with this amazing, incredible toolkit that I have through this, um, you know, uh, this is where it's kind of like, I see it as an ongoing journey. And now I feel much happier in myself. I feel less much that I need like therapy to get me out of like depression and a dark place, but I can use it more as kind of like this tool for when things are hard, but also for my, my power to do better work, to do more creative work. Yeah. Wow. Like just potential. It sounds just so full of potential. So, um, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about the difference between IFS and other kinds of therapy, because there are many different kinds of therapies. Um, and if you've got any thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, and I probably should ask you more of this, but um, my personal experience of it from um, compared to like traditional psychotherapy or things like um, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, I touched on my analytical part earlier uh, and that, probably is one of the most powerful or most loudest uh, parts of me. It very much lives in my head. Um, When I did these therapies, um, okay, yeah, we touched on, say, these younger parts, you know, that we experienced that we would talk about why uh, my younger part was bullied at school. uh, And we would talk about it and we'd understand it. Um, And the thing about that is that what I only got from that was an understanding of what's going on. So this helped my analytical part justify um, why it existed, which was, you know, great. 
but the thing is, is really it felt, if I look back on it, it was a band-aid approach because when new situations arised or things got hard, I just went back to where I was before and just basically needed psychotherapy again. Uh, uh, it's almost like let a psychotherapy, or almost in this case, I could actually say an absolute extreme, uh, is just a retainer model because it basically is just continued talking um, <laughs> whenever situations get get worse without actually fixing the underlying uh, underlying issue, issues. Um, so, to give an example, is how IFS is different is that we had to go to those younger parts, those younger experience, relive it. I had to relive the whole emotion of being bullied. Like it literally felt like I was getting kicked in the stomach uh, as I got kicked in the stomach as an eight-year-old. You know, it's pretty fucking painful. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like it was just one session and it was unburdened. You know, it took a couple of sessions where I was in that state and feeling that emotion and upset. Um, but going through that experience of having it, we actually, I never had to experience it again. It hasn't come back. It's like, it's been unburdened and I've literally, to me, the best way I can explain it, it's not based in scientific fact, this, but I have changed the reality of that part. I have changed the neural pathway before it was, this situation is happening. It feels like that. Now that situation no longer exists in my memory and it's been replaced by that part going swimming in the sea. Um, so it's changed the neural path of that uh, completely. Uh, and that's where I think like traditional things like psychotherapy and CBT just cover the surface so you kind of understand there and don't have to go there um, to that emotion. Mm. And there's some things I just feel drawn to say about that. Because I wanted to touch like how accurate is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I'm not a therapist either. I'm a coach. Um and I've also had uh, lots of different therapies and I just want to be really clear for anyone who is having CBT or any other kind of therapy, not that this is a dismissal of them, because I know that when I had extreme anxiety in my twenties and my teens, it was CBT that helped me, um, help relieve that anxiety. So, so it got me to a place where I wasn't having multiple panic attacks a day. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And, and, but as Charlie said, for me, the kind of barrier I kept coming up against is on the surface. I was finding ways to, to, in that moment, maybe, um, relieve some of the symptoms, but I, I was really stuck on how to actually shift my my inner beliefs, my, my inner experience of life. Um, and I remember, you know, being so stuck there for a long time, this idea of, well, you know, I, I understand, I know that this happened. I know that that happened. I know this is why X, Y, and Z is, is, is what I'm experiencing now, but I just couldn't understand how to actually from the inside out shift it. And for me, IFS, which actually came to me through a mindfulness and compassion practice, which I'm a teacher of, um, you know, IFS took me to the inside to that experience and allowed from that place change to happen. So instead of trying to fix something, actually it was the system understanding it could relax. So it wasn't like a strategy. It was like the system's like, it's safe now. Actually I can act differently. And over time, you know, from, recognizing what the challenge was from understanding why it was there from healing it. And then the really key bit, which is integration. It's every time that part is triggered going, it's okay. We're not there anymore. That's how the change starts happening. Really, really happening. That, that confidence the part has that, Oh, I'm really not that eight year old anymore. So I just wanted to say that, you know, these therapies, I'm grateful for all of them and the many different therapies, but um, and the other thing I wanted to say was, especially for those who have um, experienced trauma, and, and I think what you shared was a trauma, Charlie. I mean, I really, I really felt immense compassion when you just said about being kicked in the stomach as an eight-year-old, as I'm sure we all do. Um, and there are many different ways we can have traumas, and and some perhaps feel more obviously traumatic. And I just want to add in that you do experience, um, you do go to that place, but you only go to that place in a safe way. So it's not like, uh, 
the violence and triggering of maybe going back to a trauma because even though you're witnessing it, you're doing it in a safe way. And I think that's really important because that might feel like a barrier to someone who's been through something traumatic of like, holy shit, I don't want to go back there. I mean, that in itself, the manager's going to be like, hell no, it's done in a way that is safe and that is protected. And I think that's really important because um, the system will only let you, it will only reveal what it trusts you to be ready to see, which is depends on the process and how, how fast or slowly it moves to match you and your system. Yeah. I'm really glad we've done this interview together because you're touching uh, on some really, really important parts there. Um, firstly, giving it a safety warning, um, you know, yeah. and there's a couple of things to say that I really recommend doing this work with a therapist because of that, getting it into a safe place. Yeah. Um, I think that is really, really important actually. Uh, and then being able to, once you go there, to be able to hold space and and, and help. Uh, and also, I can be overly critical because I've had such a transformative transformative uh, experience with this of other therapy. But actually, if I look back, uh, when I've done things like CBT, it was incredibly helpful at the time. Yeah, it's almost like I've really found with, with the healing process, because I've been on an enormous process and work now with thousands of people as well on their journeys, is that... Um, you, you do, you do the best you can do at that time mm. and the therapy, whatever the, the, the tool you find at that time is, is the one you have the capacity to receive in that moment. And I think what both our intentions are, you know, is to just share these things so people can find the one that matches them. You know, everyone's different. And with healing, we always say, you've got to find your doorway to walk through. And that often involves knocking on lots of different doors to work out what is your heat, not just healing, but what, what are the tools that allow you to, to that elevate you to that potential that you spoke about, Charlie? No, yeah, that's great. Mm. So something that we've been talking about a lot and hearing a lot about is the realm of psychedelics. Um, and I'm curious to know you know, just your thoughts around this link between the psychedelic journey, which I think is, is being spoken about so much more psychedelic, not in a kind of woohoo, go party, but a therapeutic uh, way. So I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. Um, as you said it, um, cause it seems like it's going off topic, uh, as we say it out live as, um, I'm worried if I'm just putting it in because I want to be cool, but, um, <laughs> or make the podcast cooler because it's got psychedelics in the title. I love that um, you just named that. <laughs> There's a part of you that's worried. <laughs> definitely. It does, it does feel very relevant. Uh, and the reason is, is um, I, I've been having a lot of uh, conversations which, with people who are taking psychedelics um, from very much a therapeutic place. Um, so, you know, it's say taking a mushroom, putting um, an eye patch on some noise cancelling headphones and seeing what comes up um, or like more extreme versions like um, ayahuasca um, and kind of like the the journeys that people go on and, and how they talk about it. And as I was deeply curious about like what people's experience were and like why they were taking these psychedelics um, and I, as they describe what was going on, I just was like, this is so similar to what I'm doing in IFS. This is, this is crazy similar. Uh, and what somebody described to me is kind of like um, a time they took a psychedelic um, and it was almost like a, a bad trip, essentially, was what they were explaining a little bit of. But they said the, the psychedelic took them to um, a place in their body, which they described was uh, an energy blockage. It was like they said it knew where to go. Uh, and where that energy block could watch was an experience they'd had in their childhood, which was like deeply traumatic. Uh, and they had to, basically the trip led them to relive that experience. Uh, and it was quite emotional and horrible, uh, and, and scary as fucking hell. Um, and listening to that, uh, and then they said, basically they then went through it. They relived it. They, um, they could deal with it. They understood it. They went through the psychedelics. Uh, they could bring it in. Uh, and then actually when they came out of the trip, they were like, oh. Uh, and by reliving that experience of that thing in the same way which we IFS, we relive things, it actually un unburdened, unburdened it. 
uh, and gone through that experience. And, you know, that is what IFS does. It might not be quite uh, as quick because, you know, we kind of have to take time through the body, get us into a safe place before we go to those parts, um, which also is like kind of like the the warning label to to psychedelics yeah. too. <laughs> uh, exactly. exactly. And that's, I'm glad you said that because I was going to come in like the voice of doom again <laughs> yeah, yeah. with the warning. <laughs> voice of doom is back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you, you want to touch like that. Why do you feel like from, from an IFS point of view, like um, going straight there uh, could, could be risky? Yeah. So um I think I think it's really important to go back to what I said before, which is the reliving of an experience in IFS is done in a very safe way. It will only reveal the managers will only step back to reveal when there's trust to show what's there to be seen. And then that's held in the space of the therapist and in your own self energy. Um, I think talking from personal experience, I'm very curious about all these modalities, but as someone um, with um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, I know that it's not something I will do or or certainly not without um, special support because you might not have the capacity to go back to that place without being re-traumatized by it. So some people might have an unburdening experience. So some people just by seeing um, their barriers or blockages that can be deeply healing and, and, uh, a processing experience in itself for other people that could just be terrifying. And that terror could just re-traumatize the system. I believe myself to be one of those people, if I'm honest, um, having had, you know, with what I'm working with. Um, and I also really want to say that one of the things that maybe concerns me a bit about psychedelics, um, I think there's a really powerful place for them. And I think Charlie, you reference a great podcast with Dick Schwartz, who's the creator of IFS. I really recommend if you're interested in listening to that, but as a society, we are very geared towards um, band-aid cures. We want to take a tablet and for it to go away. We want um, something magic for it to go away. What we struggle with often is doing the work. And if you're really listening, what Charlie's just explained is like, He's done 12 months of work and continues to do work every day. I've done years of work and continue to do work every day. Healing is possible. Living our potential is absolutely possible. Hope is possible. But um, I don't believe there's magic cures like you go and do 24 hours and your whole life is transformed without having to do anything. So that would be my other voice of doom (laughs) thing. If there's a part of you that's like, oh my God, I could get that experience just by taking mushrooms and not have to do all the therapy and the meditation and the work. Just be aware of that because everything you know, is about self-leadership. It's about, can we step up for ourselves, right? Isn't it? Can we, that's resilience. Can we be there for ourselves in the way we need um, to be there? And so beware the desire, which we all have. I certainly have every time I discover something new, I'm like, Ooh, (laughs) of looking for a quick fix, basically. Totally right. Thank you, Voice of Doom. Um, but yeah, I did. I don't. I wanted to say that next myself, so I'm really glad that the true Voice of Doom is here because um, I probably would have touched on it too lightly. But I, I have heard of situations of people, you know, been stuck in depressive states for you know months uh, as a result of psychedelics because they got yeah. stuck in a younger part or stuck in the trauma. Um, and, and actually, I don't think this is really like a, a negative or actually doom i just think that you know we need to have respect for them and actually the future probably is going to be therapy with psychedelics because psychedelics will help us get to the parts which need help or help our system as a whole which we call an ifs uh, work together to go where healing is necessary Mm -hmm. but then we can use people who are practiced in ifs the therapists um to actually guide the sessions and then integrate what is found with the psychedelics back into everyday yeah. life. And I think that as a combination is going to be incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, obviously, you know, I'm touching on a subject that um, really needs experts to understand. And on, yeah. on the blog version of this kind of podcast, um, I linked to another podcast with Dick Schwartz, uh, Sula mentioned it. Please go to the website and watch that if you're like really interested more in the in the psychedelic side of things. I think we're going to see more and more of it. I think it's so powerful. You're right. I'm really interested to see how what unfolds with that for sure. 
So, do you still have therapy? I guess is one question. And are there any practices that you you're still um, following or that you'd like to share? Yeah, yeah. So I did therapy for um, um, I think about six months in the end, uh, and we did so much work, discovered so many systems and parts. Uh, it actually got to a stage where my therapist uh, said we need to almost take a break. Um, and essentially what it was is that so much had changed within my life, um, that it was time to actually sit back and start to integrate all these new parts or their new roles that they had taken on. Um, you know, if, if I look at it now, um, if the situation, the parts I described earlier is that all those parts are incredibly powerful and useful. That's the change that was seen. I no longer saw the, the the manager and the analytical as a negative thing. It was like, hey, this is the where my power comes, which is how I can do business. Like why I'm amazing at creating a spreadsheet or a business strategy is because I can sit there with an incredible wealth of information, analyze it all in this part, uh, and then have a result at the end of it, which is kind of like a, an answer or a solution. Uh, and then my firefighter, which would uh, make me shut down and get stuck on the sofa in a depressive state, scrolling my, scrolling, scrolling my phone, took on a new role to do everything possible actually to stop that, like a form of self-care. So it would um, it pushes me to make sure that I do my exercise, my meditation, uh, socialize with people, all these things which energetically fuel the whole system um, or even just go swimming with that younger part. Um, so the system is taking this new healing, new role and things. Um, and the way I kind of integrate that into to everyday life is a, is a daily, uh, a daily practice. Um, so before I started IFS, I was already meditating, but it was more just additional kind of like breathing in and out focus, uh, kind of thing, uh, using like apps like Headspace. Uh, and what I took on more with uh, the IFS is to start off there to kind of get into a focused state with the breathing. Uh, and then I would revisit or talk to in, in dialogue with all of my parts. Um, and it's just something I just started doing one day uh, where I would go visit the younger parts and see how they're doing, check in with them. Was anybody feeling a little bit unhappy? Talk to them in dialogue, show them the present situation if necessary. Um, or to the more managerial parts, which are in my head, like sometimes getting them to, rather than overwhelming the system, just being constant loops of analytics, um, come forward and face me um, and actually change your perspective. Um, and what that would do is, rather than just going to work in a mood, is that I would, um, the best way to describe this, be able to kind of work through the situations that were coming up first thing in the morning and then come to my work in a positive or active form or be able to get out of a certain part or mood which is overwhelmed because something was going on that was difficult and then go off and do my exercise, which maybe I would have avoided in the morning uh, because I felt a need just to get to work to as a coping mechanism. Um, and this this daily practice is what's been, been really powerful. And just to touch on kind of like what it is. Um, I actually read a book and it referenced a thing called uh, active imagination by Jung. Uh, so Carl Jung. Uh, and he came up with this idea of actually seeing the the part and, and the ego as different parts. Um, and active imagination is actually to have an internal dialogue um, between different, different parts of you uh, and see where that goes. Um, so this is kind of like a combination of meditation, active imagination, and the IFS parts work. Mm. And I think you mentioned, you know, you kind of alluded to this in terms of how you began your day and how you arrived into your work, you know, your workspace. But I wonder how has this parts work influenced this new direction with deep work? Um, yeah, so with deep work, um, I guess... Pre, I guess it's like before and after is probably the best way to kind of describe things. So um, before, um, say there was a conflict in the business between me and my co-founder, Andre, like we had different uh, opinions. Um, I, before would kind of like get 
quite scared of conflict. Uh, I would try and avoid it. Uh, I would be scared of voicing my opinion in case like it hurt the other person or we got argumentative. Um, and in this kind of daily practice, I can see where are my beliefs? Where are my fears? What, why is this actually happening? Uh, what parts are actually scared and go to those parts and understand them. Sometimes it might have been that a part, certain part was triggered. Uh, and what I can then do is then take that to the conversation I have with Andre and just say, hey, you said that or you did that maybe. Uh, and that triggered this part in me to react. And that's why I then said that as reactive. And we can have like a phone conversation where we can resolve things. We can talk from authenticity and honesty. Um, and what I found is that once you understand your system and you can talk from a place of true authenticity, it's almost impossible to actually have an argument. <laughs> you know, it's just like you talk from honesty and it's like, oh, oh, okay, that's happening. Oh, that's why. And once you understand each other, we always come back to the fact that our goals are always pretty similar and we just have different knowledge or different expertise. We solve things, we work forward. Sometimes there's a compromise, um, but we move forward in an incredibly fast way. So if, if I think about it, things which could have taken days to resolve are now resolved in minutes uh, as a result of having this as a tool. Mm. In an IFS, we say uh, talking for our parts rather than from our parts. And I think that's just what you, you've spoken about there. You know, when we're talking from our parts, you're in the anger or the triggered by, you know, this misunderstanding the other person's in, you stay in reactivity. And when you talk for them, it's like, oh, yeah. when you do that, this is what's coming up for me. When I do that, that's, and that's why, yeah, it yeah. just creates, it breaks that reactivity of. Uh, it definitely. And then another sort of area and work as well has been um, my creativity. Um, so I think understanding that manager part, um, because it had such an active role to cope in the world, um, a lot of my work would always just be in there. But what I've discovered slowly is that I have all these other parts. Um, I've even found that I kind of have more in a spiritual sense, uh, masculine energy, feminine energy, uh, and just all these resources internally. Uh, and when I actually start to dialogue with those different parts, I get all these different ideas and solutions. And even sometimes those parts conflict each other, but by having that active dialogue between them, um, that conflict generates new ideas, new reasoning, and actually often quite finds um, different, yeah, different, different routes or different paths which just wouldn't have come up if I was stuck in the in the analytical. Um, and to go a little bit deeper on that, uh, we very much changed the direction of, of deep work. Um, we were very much before sales focused and sales was a way of me kind of like being the analytical of let's solve that we don't have enough money uh, in the business by being salesy. <laughs> uh, and basically it didn't work. Uh, and I knew deep inside of me from another part, which was that, uh, there's a better way of doing this. It's kind of like get people engaged in your meaning and purpose, um, you know, behind what you're doing, show people what you can actually do with the collaborative collaborative tools that we have, give them a way to a wider audience, uh, create content like this as well to get people kind of interested in what we're saying. Uh, and then from that, we can then generate business from, from an audience of people. Um, and what actually happened is um, I was scared of that because I tried something similar in the past, um, but I wasn't didn't actually have something valuable to actually give away. Uh, and as a part of that kind of the business failed, and then a part which was coming in to stop that from happening again. And it was, you know, that's quite respectful. That's a really good thing. It's kind of like saying, hey, that didn't work before. Let's not do that. And it was coming in pretty strongly. But once I was able to recognize that as a part and had the dialogue with it, uh, could I actually realize that hey, the reality is now different. That part's being really useful. It's making sure that we don't do, we actually have useful tools rather than just create crap. Um, and that meant that actually we took on this new strategy with a lot more awareness uh, and a lot better um, integrity and authenticity for, for it. Mm. Awesome. <laughs> so I guess um, to come towards the end, yeah. of this um for someone who's listening to this and maybe it's resonating um you know what would you recommend um next 
So next, I would definitely recommend working with uh, an IFS practitioner. Um, that's probably the, the most important thing is this really is work that I recommend doing with somebody else. Um, and I know that working with a therapist or a coach um, can feel like it's quite an expensive outlay, something which is maybe quite difficult to prioritize. Um, but I can honestly say that it's brought back so much dividends in, you know, the quality of my life, uh, the quality of my work, the quality of my day to day, um, that it's just honestly, incredibly, incredibly worthwhile. Um, you know, I, I think it's not going to create a life of happiness. It's always going to be challenging as well. Uh, I think we kind of touched on that. And I think I touched on Mark Manson's this kind of like idea that we all, a good life for me or like my value is actually to be solving good challenges. And I know with IFS, I'm always going to be solving good challenges rather than just trapped in one place uh, moving forward. Um, and that's that's quite exceptional. Um, you know, if if really, you know, kind of like you're just really starting a journey of kind of like self-discovery um, and looking at mental health, then, you know, like the bare bone basics is just to start with meditation. Uh, and I really recommend just starting with like an app like Headspace. You know, that will give you a lot of space. Um, you'll start to understand like the thinking in the heads and the thoughts that come up and sometimes give you a little bit of space from that. So meditation, I really highly recommend. Um, as for the daily practice, so maybe you're already into IFS or something, um, I'd love to kind of like share what uh, I do and actually build that as a tool. Um, but I'm not too sure where to start. It might be worth just actually talking to somebody who's interested in that. So um, reach out if that's something that you're interested in learning about or doing with me. Uh, that could be quite fun. Uh, and if you're interested in like uh, a recommendation for practitioners, um, then also reach out as well. Um, I'm sure I can put some names forward or Sula can probably help too. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of like my get started tips. Maybe Sula, you've got some more maybe to add to that. Um, not really, just I think trust that things can change, you know, that things, things um can shift that we can experience life differently. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're starting from a difficult place, but that we can keep finding the way to live our life with more ease, more peace, more joy, more potential. Um, yeah, I really believe in that. And I really believe that IFS is a, one of the most powerful tools that I've encountered, um, to, to help support that journey. So yeah, always happy to hear from you if you've any questions. Um, absolutely. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I think this has kind of been way more informative and interesting, uh, having this kind of reverse host dialogue <laughs> um, and having your input to it. Um, yeah, I just want to finish and just sort of say, like, obviously touched on some like deeply personal stuff here as well. Um, uh, there's even more in the blog post. Um, but I think kind of like to sum up, it's kind of like uh, this is an incredibly powerful tool. Um it's really, really significantly changed my life. Like uh, we touched on like how it's changed my work. I feel really like I come to my work and the reason I can do exceptional work, uh, which sets me really far ahead in the bar is because I have this as a toolkit. Um, and also just in the relationship, you know, like we now talk from parts, you know, like we deeply went through a incredible experience Um you know, finding new parts. So when we came back to the relationship, I feel like we were two entirely different people to start up something incredibly new and different. Uh, and that would have just no, never been been possible before, uh, before having this tool. We wouldn't have been sitting on a podcast together. Sure. <laughs> uh, and yeah, just to, to wrap up, um, Thank you so much, Sula, for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, I'm really looking forward to putting this out there, although a little bit scared. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, if, if it's useful to you, I really hope it is. Um, this is the first podcast, is the first bit of the new direction with deep work. Uh, and to kind of touch on that in a little bit more detail, um, you know, it really is uh, working smarter and living more balanced. And that's why we're touching on kind of like this mental health IFS topic. Uh, and I really hope that 
by sharing the tools that I use uh, on a day-to-day basis to do better work, um, more deep work, uh, and other people can actually start using those tools. We can do more meaningful work. Uh, For example, I really believe that um, we can live a much more balanced life. Uh, We can work a lot less. We can do much more meaningful work. Um, But the first transition we need to do is make sure that even before we go to work, we're putting our health and we're putting our ourselves and our values as the most important priority. Um, and yeah, so if that resonates with you, please um, keep listening to the podcast um, and uh, see you soon. You're listening to the Work Smart Live Balance podcast from Deep Work. We provide innovative processes for sustainable remote businesses. Our mission is to create the future of work based on our health first principles to get meaningful work done in less time collaboratively.